Hey, everybody. You May Contribute a Verse is a show that relies on you. If you value the words you're hearing and the creators being represented, support their work, engage with them on social media by listening to the back end of the show, and aid in the continuing mission of hashtag verse show by retweeting, sharing, responding, commenting, and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Munkin, and this is the podcast You May Contribute a Verse, which has a simple mandate to give voice to creators, their struggles, successes, and the stories of their creation. And now, my guest this week needs no introduction. That's partly because she is a force of nature, a wonderful presence, an engaging encourager, and a real pleasure to talk to, but it's also because I introduced her last week in part one of our conversation. If you haven't already, do go back to last week's episode and listen to the beginnings of my conversation with Samantha Berger, where we cover a lot of her history in children's media, from working at Nickelodeon to her years at Scholastic to zine publishing to independent picture book authorship. After our conversation, Samantha followed up with a touching, encouraging, and incredibly generous email. I want to share three of her top 10 items in what it takes to make her, and I'm just going to read them. One, no matter what you're dealing with in life, health issues, natural disasters, not having a home, a giant monster pimple that takes over your entire face, take your heart and make it art. Nothing can stop the power of creativity. Two, remember everyone who helped you along the way and credit them. Remember people's names. There is no such thing as overcrediting. There is a big such thing as undercrediting. Three, on your worst, worst, three times worst days, stop and remember what you're grateful for. Remember the things that we take for granted. Always do the most with what you have to work with. These three items so perfectly encapsulate the second half of our conversation. We start by talking about more of her books, specifically in the follow-up to talking about the sloth love show Snooze Fest at the end of last episode. We discuss the touching and therapeutic Rock What You Got and go into why a book called Glamma is so necessary for proper representation. Later in the conversation, we talk about one of my favorites of hers, What If, and why you should always create. Finally, do stick around for our discussion of Samantha's work with Sesame Street and Communities and Sesame Street International. There's a lot of well-deserved praise both for Samantha as well as for Sesame and what it stands for. Massive congratulations to Samantha on her Emmy nomination for her work with Sesame and Communities. It's very well-deserved. Congratulations are also in order for a coming opportunity for Samantha as the Air Serenity Artist Residency Program outside Atlanta has recently awarded Samantha the Joy of Reading Focus Fellowship for her work in championing diversity in books and helping to instill a love of reading. Samantha is such a pleasure. Check out all her work and pick up a copy of Glamma for your grandma when it comes out in September. Here is part two of Samantha Berger's verse. These disparate books that have the, these backstories, do you ever think about how they're going to be received by kids when they're sitting at bedtime and reading with their parents or whoever? I mean, you I must. I think about the kid part a lot, but I also think that, um, and I tell people this all the time when they're, because I, I am a, we need diverse books mentor and I've taught with Emma Walton Hamilton, um, picture books at, at SUNY Stony Brook. And so when I, whenever anybody is asking me to look at their manuscript or give feedback on something, and I take my own advice on this, 
the question is, do I love it? I'm not going to show anybody anything until I love it. And I would ask that of anybody who's going to show me something. Like, if you love it, if you've gotten it to the point where you don't think it can be any better, that's when I want to see it. <laughs> give it give it to me, refine. That's the VP of Nick, uh, Nickelodeon, uh, I, I guess, <laughs> talking there. Seriously, is, though, uh, when, me- when you love it, show it to me. Yeah. Not yeah. until you love it. <laughs> don't show it to me. So I want to be your alpha reader or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like you should have a strong point of view about your own work, right? So you like, so I think about I I pretend that there's you know that I'm reading my and I do read it out loud. I read all my manuscripts out loud and I read everybody else's manuscripts out loud. You know, uh, and I and I imagine that I'm done talking to a three year old or a four year old or a five year old. I'm like, what is gonna make them crack up? What is going to make them think? What are the questions that they're going to ask? Is this somebody who would like a funny book or a deep book? Which is a very interesting, you know, phenomenon. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't care about the way, you know, a reviewer is going to think of my book or a, an agent or a publishing house as much as I think about the, the most important thing to me is how the kid is going to, is the kid going to look. Ultimately, they're they're the people that you're you're trying to reach, and and there's a real responsibility with picture books to get it right because these kids are so much more impressionable than adult audiences. Yeah. Is there is there an, an educational role that picture book authors play, or that you feel for yourself too? Um, well, I try to like really separate the books that I do that are educational books from the picture books that I do that are just you know, the stories we're compelled to tell in our lifetime. Yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm doing a book and it's like, it has a, it, I would say I have an alarm built in for didacticism. And if I feel like somebody's trying to, to slyly teach me something, I'm instantly annoyed. If you want to teach me something like flat out, give me the author's note in the back. That's like, this like, is don't, who this person was. Yeah. <laughs> don't sneak a message in there though. Don't sneak a message in there. I mean, like, uh, I don't know if you read the book that I did last year called um, Rock What You Got. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that one's really, really important to me. And I, I feel like the concept should do what I want it to do. I don't want an author's note at the end about self-esteem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I do. I, there, there is an explicit aspect of it, but it's, I guess it's, it's a delicate thing to balance when you're writing a book like that that um, the, the parent is going to pick up on the layers where the kid, what they may retain from it is the the literalness, if that's yep. a word, the literalness yep. of it, sure. of, wow, this, you know, th- I'm, I am seeing this character that's going through this process of being changed because of someone else's expectations. I guess they can extrapolate layers from that or have a memory from that, whereas um, I it's not a wink to the parents that are reading it. It's pretty explicit because we have that experience to draw from. It is. And what I've noticed with this book in particular is like kids will just, you know, chant, rock what you got, rock what you got afterwards, right? Parents or adults reading it get really emotional at the turn in the book where, you know, where the the epiphany happens there. They get really, really emotional. I've seen people like, start crying and their, or their voice crack while they're reading the book. So I, I, that one I think is, you know, but I would never sort of explicitly put, I think once you put something at the end of it, that's like, 
an author's note on loving yourself like that. No, I, <laughs> that changes the entire tone of the book. Did you go into that particular book though, with, you know, aiming that message at parents? Um, no, I mean, I, I went into that book, um, kind of aiming that message at myself and so many people I know who their whole lives say, my God, if only I had this thing, then I would be happy. You know, if only I, uh, if only I was, you know, whatever the thing is, it's like a fill in the blank, but it's like, uh, no, oh, if only I was rich, then I would, uh, uh, if only I was skinny, then I would, uh, 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 if only I was blonde and beautiful, then I would, uh, if only I was rich and had a, a, this partner, whatever. And it's just like a shift of mentality to be like, um, no, I'm actually really grateful. And the things that I have, I, I don't take for granted. Like I, I'm so lucky to have eyes to see seriously. I I'm so lucky that I, I'm still here after, you know, so many years and going through so many things. And I'm so happy that I, I, I get to do what I want for a living. And like, that's miraculous. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was really, um, a shift of going through, uh, instead of always like the pattern, which is, is a human pattern of like wanting, wanting for more and striving, striving for, and not thinking that you're okay the way you are. Just shifting to like how you felt when you were a kid, which was like, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and here's, um, here's where the real Timmy Value of Picture Books comes in. Um, in terms of like this book in particular serving as therapy for parents <laughs> in, in a sense, because, you know, my, my initial reaction to that book is um, that process of acceptance of who you are takes a long time, takes people their entire lives uh, that you could do over a series of rock what you got books. And maybe you have that planned. I don't know. But the, but uh, but picture books are repeated for kids lots and lots of times. And, yeah. and as a result of that repeated by their parents. And so that's, uh, I guess, a value that you c get from that and having that message just drilled into you over and over again, that it's not the kids that are saying rock what you got necessarily, but the nightly reading of that, that's, that's kind of therapeutic. I, I'm glad to hear that. I, um, it's like a lifetime mantra that I have had <laughs> pinned to my wall for a very long time. I always knew I would do something with it but I wasn't sure what <laughs> it would be. You're, uh, you're pretty happy with that one, huh? <laughs> I would say the... like, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, <laughs> you can ask no. me. Well, no, I, I was going to get into this partnership with illustrators and things. And I, I don't, uh, none of, uh, none of what I've read so far has been self illustrated. Is that, is that ever like a, I mean, obviously, we've talked about Rock What You Got so much. That's something that you're really proud of. Um, but is, is that ever difficult for you to partner with illustrators and, and have them realize the vision that you're going for? No, it's never hard for me. I, I love partnering with, with illustrators. And man, did those guys hit it out of the park. <laughs> um, the true confession is that like uh, my French is pretty bad and I don't really know if it's Carascoe, Carascoet. I don't know if you hit the T or if you don't, I've asked a lot of people, they all have different answers. Um, I'm a huge fan of their work. 
Uh, I love their, I don't know if you've ever seen their graphic novel that's called Beautiful Darkness. Also, not for children. Um, amazing. But they've done so many uh, incredibly beautiful picture books. I walk with Vanessa. Uh, they are a couple. So it's, they are two people illustrating. Ah, okay. <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. Um, and then, of course, you know, all the illustrators that I've worked with, Mike Corrado, and who's one of my best friends, and, and Dan Santad, and really everybody I've worked with, I've, I've gotten really lucky. I love them, Julia Patton. Um, but yes, I, I have a calling to illustrate my own books as well. So like, that's in the future. A, a calling, you said, was the word Definitely, used? Definitely, yes, yes, oh. yes. Good. Um, I, yeah, I because I, I've seen like potatoes that you've drawn on, on Twitter and things, oh yeah, sure. or whatever that was, and I <laughs> yeah I haven't been exposed to to that that aspect of your creativity. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny. Like sometimes in the past, I have book dummied out the entire book, but it ends up being illustrated by somebody else. Other publishers you work with, they're like, I'm taking out all of your art specs. This isn't about you. Other people are like, hey, I really, I, I, we can't do this without your art specs. Like everybody knows you're a visual thinker. You have to tell the person what you have in mind. So it really is different for everybody. <laughs> but is that is that a struggle? Um, how, how much control do you have in that process? Um, I've had sort of more and more as the years go on, you know. Um, the more you sort of, prove yourself as, as, you know, I, I have reliably good ideas, sellable ideas, I guess, from a publisher's perspective. Um, yeah, I, I guess, or maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's my agent building in approvals into contracts and stuff like that as the years have gone they're, on. They're smoothing the path for you. <laughs> like she gets to pick the, or she gets approval over the, whatever it is. But, um, no, it's really exciting to work with other people and to collaborate and to partner. So it hasn't really been a, a challenge. Um, also, uh, because I also work in editorial uh, in, and in lots of ways, sometimes I'll write books and like, I'm definitely not the person, right? Like, I, I'll be like, this is a Joyce Wan. I will write this so Joyce Wan will illustrate this. Or I will write this with Kelly Light in mind or whoever. Um and then other times it's like, oh, no, I, I feel like this is my calling. You know, like I, I this is a book I should be. <laughs> I'm like, I'll keep this in my back pocket until I can. I know that I can do it. Sort of. yeah. I'm working on one right now that that uh, that I'm, I'm illustrating myself. Oh, good. We laugh. <laughs> yeah. And you have one coming out before I move on from from the books. You you have been talking about Glamma. Uh, yeah, a, a lot on your Twitter and other other places. Yep. Speaking of unabashed boisterousness and fabulousness. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I had a glamorous grandmother. She did. She invented recipes and uh, was uh, vegetarian long before it was trendy, and uh, did all kinds of um, chanting, meditation, uh, theme parties. Um, <laughs> made up stories and songs and um and she was like fabulous like this fabulous woman and then I, I i read like every picture book that comes out and i didn't see a lot of picture books where grandmas were represented as um you know diving with the sharks or um taking karate or um and and nowadays like grandmas can be 
you know, much younger. Like I, I know people who are grandmas who are, who are 60. I mean, like, I think Archie Bunker was supposed to be 50 years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think there's an episode where he turns 50 years old and is sort of bugging out about it. And that's not what 50 years old looks like now. Like they just did a remake where Woody Harrelson was playing his role. So that's sort of a different perception, right? So I wanted to do a book that um, represented like fabulous grandmothers and how much they mean in their grandchildren's lives. Like it's a very, very special role. So I did want it to be glamorous. And then I, I had, had a very strong feeling that I wanted Sue Jean Rim to illustrate it because her work is so glamorous. You know, she designs for Trish McAvoy makeup and um, she used to do the illustration for Daily Candy every day. She is just a glamour house. And so it was really important to me that it be her. <laughs> Did you, was she on board with it before you sold the book? Um, I think so. I think she was on board with the concept, you know, and then it's uh, then the, the agents have to figure all the nitty gritty out, they, see if it yeah. actually work. Yeah, they they take care of all the logistics in the background. <laughs> Me too, but we're all friends, you know, we're all friends with each other, so. <laughs> We all have our spe specialties, right? Like their specialties, logistics and scheduling and availability. Yeah, and exactly. Money. Yeah. It works, works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, um, but we're all friends. We're all going to see each other. <laughs> and now that's easier than ever. So <laughs> that's great. What is, what's hard about what you do? I mean, we've spent the last hour or so talking about muse flowing through you and uh, and doors opening and you know joy and boisterousness and kindness and all that. But what's what what's your struggle? Um, let's see. I feel like um, well, one of the struggles I think is that there are a lot a lot of picture books coming out I, I more than I've ever seen per season. And, um, there's more than there is shelf space for in any kind of bookstore. If you are lucky enough to have a bookstore, <laughs> um, there's more than, um, any kid could ever have in their library. Um, they're expensive, you know, they're like 1799 per book. Um, and so, uh, I feel like a book has a minute in the spotlight before a, a, a minute on the Barnes and Noble shelf before the mentality is like to move on to the next great thing. Like talk about the next great thing that's happening next fall. It's always about the, the more and the new. And I think, um, giving books like a moment of more than a moment of love is important. Because it shouldn't be just about like how many you could churn out. It should be about the the quality, not just the quantity, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and this is a similar note that Kelly had hit on when we talked a month or so ago. Is that um, it, it, it? The your time as an author can come and go. Uh, you have to find a way to stay in the front of eyes and front of minds, and that's really hard. Yeah. And in some in some senses, it's a golden age because more people are having opportunity. But in other senses, just we we kind of need to slow down a little bit. It's kind of crazy. Um, it's kind of I, I sometimes don't understand how it's even a successful business model. <laughs> There's so many books that come out and they don't out earn out the advance, and it's like, wow. <laughs> well, is that 
is that the challenge then? Is that um, because of the pro- proliferation? Wow, that's a hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, because no, of the no. proliferation <laughs> of uh, of children's book publishing and and how it's having a golden moment, does that make it harder to earn a living as a children's book author? I think the answer is yes. Are we? Is this like an Uber uh, for children's books kind of situation we're in now? Um, I would definitely say one of the challenges is that, yeah, the, the earning a living at it and the constant sort of hustle for the next thing, the next, you know, or you're only as good as your last. <laughs> no one remembers your previous library. And this is where um, I think success and goals um, can be a little deceptive, right? They're, it's like a moving target. So once upon a time, your goal is, all I want in the world is to, to have a book that's published, right? And I work with a lot of people and that is their goal. That's the place they are. I just want a book published. I have this story, I wanna tell it, and that's so important to me. And then that happens and you, you're living your dream. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to just I can't believe it. This is happening. But immediately, you know, they hit the second thing was like, what's my second book going to be? How am I going to sell a second book? Will it be as good as my first? I don't know. uh, So it's a moving target. And it's, um, you know, people I've I've been in publishing for 22 years somehow. And the people that I know, uh, both in television and in and in publishing, kind of have this challenge all the time. Like, what am I going to do next? And um, how do I keep this momentum going? And I, 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 I want to remind people to take a moment to just take in that once upon a time, your dream was to be published and you're doing that. And that's incredible. <laughs> so you, you just hand them a copy of Rock What You Got. <laughs> and this is like, I don't even, we often don't take the, the moments to, to be like, wow. I wanted to make this thing happen. I worked really hard and I made this thing happen. And that's, you know, not, that's not a given. Yeah. 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 Going back to being, you know, being a booster, there's a role there for, uh, not just being a booster, but being a sort of like reality check. Let's, let's pause. And, uh, and uh, there's something more serious behind being that booster than is, um, uh, uh, let's let's celebrate. Yeah, take, take, and take time. Like, pat yourself on the back, like you did it. You you wanted to do something. You made it happen. That is a big deal. If you were talking to a kid, you'd be like, "Hey, look what just happened!" Like you didn't know how to do this thing. You really wanted to learn how to do it, and now you're doing it. So you you can have a moment where you're you hear the heavenly choir there. <laughs> yeah and and again ki- kids are much more likely to do that than chase the dragon like adults do <laughs> like yeah. what's my next what's my next bigger thing yeah but i do think it's a human thing that we all do it's like oh i really want this toy i really want this toy i really want this toy and you get the toy you're like now i want this other toy it's yep. like, all right that's cool but like just for a minute <laughs> Can you play with that thing that we spent so much money on? <laughs> you really wanted this. And yeah, I think it's just a human phenomenon. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to your point about the challenges, the same thing with uh, quantity versus quality is happening in the animation world as well, where there's so much content, right? More than anybody could ever watch. 
And how do you, uh, yeah, how do you get over the, as a viewer, like the FOMO of, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm missing all this key content, but, <laughs> but then also from a creator's point of view, how do you get, get noticed? Same thing. That's the trouble yeah. with everything being so good. <laughs> if only everything were so good. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of crap out there. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but the, some of the good stuff, like, you know, it rises to the top and then it's really good. And then I'm thrilled for those people. That show Pen15 that's out, I've never seen anything, anything like that that captured seventh grade quite so well. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of kids, but not for kids whatsoever. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what? And that that's on my list of two watch. So I want to avoid uh, spoilers. Spoilers. No spoilers. But no spoilers. Counter to everything that we're talking about. Um, yes. H- high quality at the top, uh, consistently for fifty years, is the reason that you and I got connected in the first place. Is that I put uh-huh. out into the world. I would love to talk to somebody that is associated with Sesame in some way, shape, or form. And you know, Kelly Light to the rescue. She connected us. Thank you, nice. Kelly. Um, yeah, she is. Um, she is. And a, and a delight in every other way. But yes, I, and I, like, that, here's a uh, fun fact. I call her Kelly C, mother of drawings. <laughs> I hope that you get that reference. <laughs> yes, of course I do. That's the one show that I'm caught up on right now. <laughs> well, anyway, so uh, she had connected us, and I, I know, I know that you're connected to and have written scripts for Sesame Street and Communities, but the details on that are, seem to be a little scarce because Sesame Street and Communities is not is not a program that really like celebrates the people that are behind the scenes. It celebrates the topics and the ways that kids are reached. And so um, h- how have you been involved in Sesame or with Sesame or adjacent to it? <laughs> or whatever, whatever way. <laughs> Sesame adjacent. Um, okay, so Sesame Street came out the year I was born. I would consider it a defining thing of my generation. Um, the great Joan Gans Cooney had an idea which was like, hey, if kids are singing commercials, why couldn't kids be singing jingles that are about the alphabet and about counting? And I would say, she was brilliant and a pioneer and that it worked because here we are, you know, uh, 50 years later and I can, I can sing those songs by heart, you know, still I'm talking about the ones from the early seventies. I can sing them by heart. So yeah, they became part of my DNA. Uh, and it's, so no, that was nobody, the first yeah. thing. Yeah, nobody counts to 12. Like, uh, like I was going to say, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> there was no chance I wasn't going to sing during this. So, <laughs> um, so yes. So uh, I always felt the calling to um, work with them. I feel like I, I thought I knew I was going to work with them in some capacity down the road. Um, and then, um, so there's many branches of Sesame, right? There's Sesame Street, that's the show, which is now on HBO. There is Sesame Street streaming content, which lives online, like the Sesame Street and community stuff. And there's Sesame Street International, um, which has characters like Cammy the Muppet, who's HIV positive, and uh, Raya the Muppet who represents the clean water initiative. So I write for both the Sesame street in community stuff and the Sesame street international stuff. Ah. 
So the Sesame Street International stuff, like I just finished writing a book for Sesame Street in Rwanda and in Mali, Ghana and Niger. And I, you know, when you see what those kids are dealing with, which is uh, not getting a uh, tropical disease um, by drinking contaminated water uh, or swimming in contaminated water or eating food that hasn't been properly washed or not washing their hands. It really shifts your perspective to um, what's important in the world, to what the things, again, the things we take for granted. <laughs> Any problem that we have here, you know, uh, is, is uh, there, it's not that one, you know, um, for, for us, for the two of us. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, makes you want to devote your entire life to it. Honestly, makes you want to go there and devote your entire life to it. The kids who are living in the Syrian refugee territories, it, dealing with those issues, it just changes your life. So I'm, I write a lot of stuff for Raya. Uh, her, her name is spelled R-A-Y-A. And she is the Muppet who um, was created to represent the wash up clean water initiative uh, for Sesame Street International. I write a lot of her stuff, both the segments that air and the storybooks. Um, I also do, so the Sesame Street and community stuff. Wow. Do they do great work? I mean, yeah. that team is just incredible. Um, and so they do stuff that is uh, sort of the more difficult topics like um, the childhood trauma initiative, violence in communities, how to talk to your kids about, you know, if they hear something on the news, uh, violence in communities, a parent who's been incarcerated, death in the family, um, how we define what trauma is. And that team, I mean, I could shout them all out. They're so incredible. Um, that team's incredible to work with. The research that they do is remarkable and in depth. Um, and so, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get to write some of the spots and the storybooks that feature Lily, who is the first Muppet, uh, who does not have a permanent home. And those came out earlier this year and to write the spots for, um, Carly, who is the first Muppet in foster care. Um, so, and, and, you know, it's true. Like it, most of the stuff comes from Sesame, the team, but still, you know, when it came to it, they, they nominated me for the, for the Emmy for writing by name. So the, like, that was really, really generous and cool. Congratulations on that, by the way. Well, thank you. It turns out it was an honor to be nominated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like what they said. The burden, burden's not the right word. The opportunity <laughs> uh, of writing sensitive subjects that become more accessible to kids that are going through difficult circumstances. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult. It would be difficult, I presume, to write those in a way that ends up you know, like like we were talking about early, it ends up with an an end run around difficulty to joy. So, 
I think you said you said this, but you're you're working throughout writing scripts and storybooks with people that are well versed and well researched and and are helping you understand like I, I guess how to talk about it in a way that writing write what you got comes from your heart now this is coming from a sort of like a, a different place a different like let's let's figure out the methodology and the and the 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 language to use to talk about these things yeah it's absolutely different experience yeah it is and if there i mean nobody researches like sesame researches yeah. they step to it they have advisors committees they've gone out to tons and tons of people huge packets of the research so that is necessary and really really informative um and i learned a lot writing for it and then you know the sesame street characters so well they're like a part of you know i feel like i was raised by big bird so <laughs> um everything is uh step two with an element of hope and um in a way that a that that a child would actually ask um, you know, Big Bird is, is very much an Elmo. Elmo for sure is like probably about three years old and, um, asks questions from a place of genuinely being curious and interested, um, and not, and, and being sensitive, um, not with any kind of, you know, <laughs> ulterior motive or agenda. He's like, when he asks a question, he's genuinely asking it. <laughs> Um, so that combination of the research, the incredible team and knowing those characters, right. They will come up with language that, that everybody, and there, there's a, so many eyes on it, making sure we're all using the same language and making sure that it's has sensitivity readers and that everybody is on the same page. Yeah. What a wonderful thing to be able to work on. Yeah, and, that's you know, a... <laughs> yeah, and 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 they're reaching kids with your with your your self your self children's books are uh, is a, a joy in itself. But knowing that that there's this whole other thing that you can help deliver um, to create something else for people is really it's really cool. I'm glad for you that you get to be able to do that. Thank you. The, yeah. the work that I do for Sesame Street is some of the most important work for me that I do. <laughs> I hope you get to keep doing it. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I have taken a whole bunch of your time uh, that I really appreciate. I feel like I've gotten finally after, after all my, uh, uh, after my kids go to bed research, <laughs> I have a full, I have a full picture of who you are as a creator. Wow. That's um, great. Well, it is an absolute pleasure. Is there anything else that you're just, so wanted to ask. <laughs> there, there is one final question <laughs> on on behalf of my daughter, who is uh -huh. five, five and three quarters, who has uh, she and my wife have read Snooze Fest uh, a, a whole bunch of times. She wants to know what your favorite of your books is. Okay, so you know it's really hard to play favorites with your books. It's kind of yeah. like you know they're all like your kids, and they all have their sort of special place in your in your life or what you're going through at the time or you know and they all have secret easter eggs and treasures and love letters to friends in them uh so it's really hard to pick a favorite but right now i feel like the book that is sort of 
defining of who I am is what if. Which is a really wonderful, encouraging, hope-filled, joyous book. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I, I, I often call it the song of my soul. Um, it has so many, you know, there's been uh, countless times in my life. I know when we talk about like career path and stuff and doors opening and positivity and shouting people out, like that is the, that is, that is the highlight. And then that is the high points of my life. But I have also really gone through some stuff um, countless chapters of my life and it is without fail. Creativity has been the thing that has made me survive it. And, um, and has made me look at other people throughout history. I have a long running list of them who were in just the most dire of circumstances and found ways to create. And, um, I think that, you know, that's the essence of who I am. So that's why that book's really important to me and the way it is. Yeah. I'm going to go upstairs and read it to my kids <laughs> right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Samantha Berger, for Thank talking to me for so, so long. This has been such a pleasure. Don't we have to do a uh, final, like, <laughs> Well, a final, uh, I don't know. What should we do as a final what? <laughs> bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> Hold it for a really long time, as long as you can. Yeah. How about that? Uh, okay, one, two, three. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, I started laughing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Never <laughs> apologize you. for laughing. Oh, that well, that's a good note to end on. I'll keep the rest right. of this and just end on that. Never All apologize right. for laughing. <laughs> Quote Samantha Berger. Episode 15, If You May Contribute a Verse, featuring my conversation with Samantha Berger, children's book author, television writer, editor, voiceover artist, illustrator, and booster is now all the way complete. If you made it this far without listening to part one of our conversation, please do so. Also, what are you doing? Read and buy all of Samantha Berger's books, even the ones under the name Martha T. Ottersley. Our conversation will hopefully have wet your whistle to pick up Snooze Fest, Rock What You Got, What If, and the coming Glamour if you have kids or no kids who need books. Samantha Berger is on Twitter at Berger Books, that's B-E-R-G-E-R, and on Instagram at SamanthaBerger321. Check SamanthaBerger.com for more. You May Contribute a Verse is a homespun production produced, edited, recorded, conceptualized, and marketed by me, Josh Munkin, from the darkness and comfort of my basement. The title of the show comes from the last line of the Walt Whitman poem, O oh Me, O oh Life, depicting a familiar struggle with the futility of it all and why we should still try. Engage with the show on Twitter at Verse Show. That's V-E-R-S-E-S-H-O-W. I'm on Twitter at Josh Monkwards, all one word. When I remember to use it, the hashtag Verse Show is where you'll find discussion of the show on Twitter or Instagram. The artwork for You May Contribute a Verse is text overlaid on a photo by Alex Ivey on Unsplash. There's a lot more high-quality, free-usage imagery at Unsplash.com. The show's theme is A Tragic But Happy Horse, the eponymous track from the album by Robbie Czar. Robbie is wonderful. Engage with his music and musings at Partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. Subscribe, give us a rating, and please review the show on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. My aim with this show is to highlight creators I value and in doing so, encourage both them and you to create art for yourself and the world. 
Word of mouth is my marketing method of choice. It's both the best and only way for me to increase the show's audience and profile and the best way to give me feedback about how it's going. And remember the answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse.